If we lose everything else, Lord God, we still have you. That is enough. Because in you, Lord God, we live and we breathe. We get our existence from you, Lord God. We're able to sing this morning that we follow you because you, Lord God, Jesus, you followed God. You said, not my will, but your will be done. And you went to the cross and that's what enables us to take up our cross and follow you, God. So we thank you, God, that you are our source. You are our everything this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He is good. Yeah, it's good. You can take a seat. It's good to be back. How are we all? Very good. Got back on Friday from Madan, Indonesia, and um, we still have a team of seven of our church there today, so pray for them. They actually, this morning, they were getting an opportunity. I don't know, do any of you know a girl called Tissa who does the interpreting for you when you go to Madan? She lives in the um, hills about two hours away from where the projects are, the Compassion Projects, and she was preaching. So the team were getting up at like six to go up into the hills where they'd never been before and to visit her church and watch her preach and be there today. So um, it was a pretty great thing. And Friday they went and visited a, um, a, a leprosy colony, which was, um, if you've seen some of Louis Ernst's photos on Facebook, was um, a pretty incredible opportunity to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, we don't battle leprosy in this country, thank goodness, but over there they do. And there's this community of people that are isolated because of their disease. And so to go in as a team and to love on them and to pray with them, and I think they took in hygiene packs for the ladies as well on that Friday. So um, it was just a pretty incredible opportunity. And the local church there is ministering to these people, and it was great for us to... Well, I didn't get to because I was on a plane, but um, the team are over there still ministering. So keep praying for them. They're there till Saturday. For those of you that don't know, Real Life Church has a partnership. It's a 10-year partnership through Compassion Australia, which is a child sponsorship, but it's more than child sponsorship. It's about connecting with your Compassion child wherever they are on the earth. The financial support is great, but it's also the letter writing and the, the connecting and even also the if you get the chance to go visit them. So Real Life Church sponsors nearly, I think it's around 100 children in Madan across two projects. And there's there's about, I think, 700 children in the program, so it's not just Real Life Church, but they're the um, projects that Real Life partners with. One's a school, another one's just, it's great because it's, it's looking after children, but it's the holistic approach. So I met three young people and got to spend an afternoon with them, and two of them are now studying law at university, and one's studying multimedia, at, um, like a college so they've come through the Compassion Program from being kids and being looked after food and shelter and water and education, but now studying law at university. So that to me is an amazing thing of rescuing children, but not just helping them, but really setting them up to be leaders in that nation for the future. So Compassion, I don't know if you sponsor children, but Compassion is a fantastic organisation. And I, I was just blown away by seeing on the ground the work that Compassion do and the opportunity that Real Life Church has to partner with those guys is amazing. So we will continue doing that and we'll, we're looking at other ways we can be more involved in that part of the world. 
For those of you that know Pastor Hezron and Zora, they send their greetings. They, um, the local pastor's over in one of the churches there. And also I met another guy, Pastor Christo, who the team were with yesterday. So there's some great local people doing a real good work for God in that nation. Praise and worship over there. They had the tambourines down the front. The tambourines and the ribbons. Does anyone remember the tambourines and the ribbons? Oh, so good. You want to bring it back to you, Mel? All right, next time you're leading, if you've got a tambourine, we'll, we'll be watching. We don't know. We'll see. But um, just so passionate for God. And um, I walked into this room, 8 a.m. service. I got there like late Saturday night and 8 a.m. Sunday morning, and it was the, young, the youth service at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So Josh and Pip, I think that's a new time for youth, 8 a.m. Sunday morning. <laughs> Bailey, what do you reckon? Reckon that'll work? No, don't think so. Too early. But 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning and there was just young people and they were just passionate about God and it was just amazing to be in that place. You know, you go there to minister and to preach, but you always come home having been ministered to and it was just amazing to, to see it and be a part of it and it was really good. And there's a really good water slide over there too, which was lots of fun. We took the kids to a water park for the day, bought them KFC and donuts, all those healthy nutritional things. And um, just had a ball with 100 kids that might not normally get to go to a place like a water park. So it was lots of fun and um, it's all good. I did pick up a little bit of a head cold over there. You know, when you get a head cold and it's like 35 degrees and hot and you've got a head cold, it's not fun. And then we missed a flight coming home, which is not fun as well. But um, oh, we, it's a long story, but we just, we got there in time. They just moved us to another flight. But we don't need to tell that story because it really is just a first world problem that is not hugely important. But anyway, today I'm going to do part two of a series that I started. I'm, when I preach for the next little while, I'm going to be looking at the life of David. Last time I preached, we looked at when David was called, when he was chosen um, from the field and basically made a king. And it was a surprising decision. And we, we looked at how God was in that and working in that and picks the unlikely person and appoints them as king. But today we're going to look at a well-known story within the Bible. It is the story of David and Goliath. It is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're not going to read the whole chapter Hopefully you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. You know, even if you're not a Christian or never been in church, you often hear it in sport or analogy. They'll say it's a David and Goliath situation because it's a well-known story. But basically, very quickly, David is a young shepherd boy. He's visiting the army of the Israelites where his older brothers are fighting. The enemy is the Philistines. They have a big giant called Goliath who is their champion. And every day he is threatening the Israelite army saying, come fight me one-on-one, winner takes all, battle to the death type of thing. The Israelites are afraid, they're they're terrified of this giant. But David goes, you know what, I can take him down. And he gets his rocks and he gets his slingshot and he defeats the giant and he leads the army that day to a great victory. And it's an amazing story of how God uses him, using his strengths to bring down a giant. And that's the story, very quick version of it. But what I want to look at today is two verses. They're two verses found in this chapter and they give you two very different responses to a giant. The first one is 1 Samuel 17, 24 and we read about how the Israelite army responds to a giant. We read how the Israelite army responds to the threat that comes against them. Verse 24 says this, 
As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So their response to the giant is to run away afraid. But when David sees the giant, let's read how he responds. It's 1 Samuel 17 verse 48. It says this, As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. So one response when they see the giant is to run away in fear, and the other response is to run towards the giant full of a belief that they can win. Two very different responses. It's important to note it's the same giant. The Israelite army and David face the exactly the same giant, exactly the same circumstances, exact same situation, but a very different response from the two of them. One responds with fear and the other responds with faith. They respond differently. This morning, my message is titled, The F Factor. And the question for you is, is the F factor gonna, is the F going to stand for fear or is the F going to stand for faith? The giants that you face in life, are you going to respond to them with fear or are you going to respond with faith? I believe that this morning, there's things that we can learn from both of these responses to help us, to equip us to respond with faith, with faith, with faith. Respond with your face. That's a good idea. Hi, here's my face. It's scary. (laughs) Today I want to look at why I believe the army responded with fear and why David was able to respond with faith. My first question, why did they fear? Why did the Israelite army have fear? And these are not all the reasons. I wasn't there that day. I don't know why, but these are some of the things that I think as to why they responded with fear. The first one I think is found in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17. It says this, When Saul and Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. The reason the Israelite army was afraid was that Saul was afraid. Saul was terrified and deeply shaken. The army, their leader, was full of fear. It is not a surprise to me that when the leader is full of fear, that the natural result is that his army is also afraid. See, I believe that the mindset and the attitude of the leader affects the whole army. And that's why the role of a leader is so important. My question for you this morning is, do you set an atmosphere of fear or faith in the places God has called you to lead? Because we've all been called to lead. It's not just me as the pastor of this church or you as a leader in a department, but in your workplace, in your home. Fathers, what kind of atmosphere are you setting in your home? Is it one of fear or is it one of faith? In your family, in your community, in your sporting team, whatever area it is that you've got influence and you've got leadership, is it an atmosphere of faith or is it an atmosphere of fear? Because the leader determines the atmosphere of the group. I can't help but wonder what the outcome of this battle would have been if Saul, the leader, was full of faith when faced with the giant. Imagine the different story this could have been. David and Goliath would not be a story that we know because it would have been a victory for the army business as usual if the leader was full of faith. You know, one of my favorite quotes at the moment is this. I thought of quitting until I realized who was watching. Because our journey and our giants that we face are never just about us. But you facing your giants and me facing my giants are always about those watching us as well. 
those around us, those in the battle with us, the generations coming after us, the generations coming after us, watching us how we face our giants and how we face our battles. And it's not this, church. It's not we face the giants so that our kids and generations after us don't have to face any giants. It's not that. It's no, we face our giants so our kids have an example of how to face their giants. We face our battles and our fears so they know what it's like to overcome. Because it's not by defeating our giants that they'll never have any giants to defeat. No, it's giving them an example. It's saying, no, that when giants come, when fears come, we face them. We don't run from them. And we set an example as leaders. Our journey and our giants are never, ever just about us. See, I believe that fear and faith are contagious. It catches on. And I believe Saul's army were contaminated with fear because he was full of fear. And I asked this question. I asked, well, why did the army have fear? And they would say, okay, well, Saul had fear. Well, why did Saul have fear? He was a king that God had used to have great victories in the past. He'd faced enemies like this before and he'd overcome and he'd won. God had used him in a mighty way. So why did he have fear? If you read a couple chapters before in 1 Samuel 15, you can read the story about how Saul started to disobey the voice of God. He repeatedly did things his own way. He repeatedly made decisions that was what he thought was best, not what God thought was best. And he continued to go down this path of thinking he knew best and thinking that he was the, the person to consult. And as a result, it says that God rejects him as the king of Israel. The anointing that was on his life to be king is removed. Just one little note. God does not reject Saul the person. But he does remove his position. He does remove the anointing on his life to be king. He's in a very dangerous position. He's in a state where he's still king. But he's lost the anointing to be king. Because he's turned away from obeying God. And it's in that position that he starts to make some decisions that aren't very wise. That I believe lead to not only his fear, but the army's fear. First decision he makes, first three verses of 1 Samuel 17. Let's read that. I preached this message last week, so I'm used to getting a little breather when the scriptures are on. Because they read it in Indonesian and I get to have a little breather and have a break. But... um. Not today, I'm going to have to work the whole time. Verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Socha in Judah and Azekah in Epizdamin. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills and the valley with the valley between them. Here's the mistake that Saul made. He allowed the Philistine army to set up camp on his land. Lesson for all of us when facing giants. Never allow your enemy and your giant to set up camp in your territory. The Bible tells us not to give the devil a foothold. And you might think, what does that mean? I don't let giants camp on my front yard or I don't let them in my car. What does it mean? The territory that we need to guard is this, is our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your hearts above all else because it determines the course of your life. So Saul let the enemy set up camp on his land. And we let the enemy sometimes set up camp in our heart. 
We let the giants set up camp in our heart and we give them space and we give them territory. The other thing we need to guard is our minds. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And too many times I believe we let giants, we let the enemy set up camp in our heart and set up camp in our mind. And we let thoughts enter in that are not of God, that are full of fear. And we let them set up camp and we say, hey, make yourself at home. Set up, take whatever space you want. Here's my heart, have it. Here's my mind, have it. And we just give them permission to take up authority and take up position in our lives. We need to guard our heart and our mind. When we get thoughts of doubt, we need to reject them. When we need, when disbelief comes in, we need to guard against it and make it obedient to Christ. We cannot allow rejection to set up camp in our heart. We cannot allow hurt and disappointment of life to have a permanent home in our hearts and our minds. We need to be guarding of them and be mindful of who we allow to set up camp in our heart and our mind. What thoughts are there? What feelings are there? Do they line up with the Word of God? Or are they thoughts and feelings that fill you with fear? Because if they are, they have got no right to set up camp in those places. You know, as a result of Saul allowing the enemy to set up camp, this is what happened, verses 8 to 10. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am a Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. So he's coming out basically trash talking them, giving them the stare down, insulting their king, insulting their God, saying they've got nothing. And verse 16, read that. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. Here's the thing. Not only did Saul allow his enemy to set up camp, but he also allowed his enemy to have a voice. Twice a day for 40 days, Goliath taunted, insulted, challenged, and defiled Saul and the Israelite army. You listen to anything that long and you'll believe it. If every morning and every night you allow your giant to speak into your life for 40 days, you're going to start to believe him. You're going to start to think it's true. You're going to start to think there's nothing you can do about it. It's a hopeless situation. Every day for 40 days, morning and night, he listened to the voice of his giant. What are you allowing to speak into your life? What voices do you listen to? What voices do you give permission to speak into your situation, into your life? Are they voices of faith or are they voices of fear? Are they voices that give you faith or are they voices that rob you of your faith? My challenge for us this morning is not, do not let your giant speak. When fear comes, when rejection comes, when hurt comes, when depression comes, whatever it might be, don't allow it to speak morning and night for 40 days in a row. You need to counter that with something. You need to stop that with something. When David arrives at the Israelite camp, he cannot believe that this giant is being allowed to treat the Israelites this way. He's got like this sense of shock, like, I can't believe that Saul is allowing this to happen. How can we let a giant like this, an enemy like this, sit there over there on that camp for 40 days in a row and insult us and speak that way to us? He's like, why are we allowing it to happen? And I think sometimes 
If David were to come into your heart, come into my mind, come into our life, he would ask the same question. Why are we giving the giants so much permission to set up camp and to speak to us every single day? Why are we giving them that space? David goes, this is not acceptable. He immediately sets about saying, how can this giant be defeated? See, why did David believe he could feed Goliath? Why did he have faith when everyone else had fear? We've looked at why there was fear, but now let's look at why faith. Why did David have something different about him that the the others did not? The first thing I believe he had was something called selective memory. You've heard of selective hearing. Has anyone heard of selective hearing? My children, again, not you, Lucy, your brothers, (laughs) have this thing called selective hearing. So you'll say, it's time for dinner, come to the table. Sorry, Dad, I didn't hear you, I was watching TV. Come on, kids, it's time to get in the car, we're going to school. Sorry, Dad, I didn't hear you, I was playing my iPad, I was doing something else. But they could be in the backyard, they could be in their room watching TV, not watching, playing an iPad, they could be doing something. And if I open just one little lolly in the kitchen... One little packet of chocolate, just the the rappling of the together. All of a sudden, there'll be three kids. <laughs> Their radar is up, and they will all be in that kitchen within thirty seconds because they heard the lolly rapper, but they could not hear dinner time, time for school. Could they? What's that called? Selective hearing. We need selective memory. David had selective memory. Verse 34 to 36, David said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it again to this pagan Philistine. Even though David was a shepherd, he remembered his past victories. And those past victories fueled his faith. Those memories of defeating the lion and defeating the bear, though they were different giants, they gave him faith for his current situation and his current giant. And I think too easily we forget the good things that God has done when we are faced with the current situation. When you're faced with a current giant or a current obstacle or problem, remember how God got you through last time. Remember those days. Remember how he came through the first time because he wants to do it again. We need to recall those times and let the memory of them fuel our faith rather than rob us with fear. You know, some of us are very good at remembering the wrong things. We replay over and over again our past mistakes, our past failures and our past sins. But God doesn't. It says this about our God, Hebrews 8.12. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. God has a selective memory when it comes to your life. He chooses to, rather than see your past sin, see the sacrifice that Jesus made. He has a selective memory, and we need to have a selective memory on our life. Isaiah 54.4 says this, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. 
don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood. Anyone ever done something in their youth that they're not proud of? I don't need to look up. It says you will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Be selective in your memory. Don't replay over your past disappointments, your past sins, your past failures, your past rejections. Replay the wins. You know, I have a DVD at home of when the Panthers won the grand final. I do not have a DVD at home of the year they got the wooden spoon. I don't want that DVD. But I have the one of the year that they won. So I can replay it and watch it and use it in a preaching illustration whenever I get a chance. (laughs) It's called selective memory. And we need to do that when we're faced with challenges and obstacles. Remember the wins. Remember the good things God has done. Remember the day you discovered his love and acceptance of your life. Remember the day he revealed that he has a plan and a purpose for you. Remember the time he got you through the storm or through the obstacle when you thought there was no way and God got you through. David had selective memory and it fueled his faith. Here's this. You might be here this morning and thinking, I can't think of anything good. The fact that you're here this morning, there's something good. And never doubt God's ability to use all things together for your good. I'm convinced that our past, God wants to use what's in our past for our future. The good and the bad. But we need to stop replaying over and over again the mistakes and the failures. Have a selective memory. Another reason that David had faith. I believe David had a sense of God's timing. See, he was sent to the battle by his dad to deliver some cheese sandwiches. It's essentially what his mission was. And bring a report back. He wasn't sent there to fight the battle. He wasn't sent there because he was a soldier. He was sent there on an errand. He was doing what his dad had asked him to do. But he finds himself at the battle, seeing the enemy, seeing the Israelite army full of fear. And he goes, well, I'm here now. And there's a need. And and I've got an idea of how we could do this. He goes, why not me? Maybe this is not an accident. Maybe this is not a coincidence that I'm here, but maybe this is God appointed time for me to step up and me to do what God's called me to do. Even though he's not a shepherd, even though he's a shepherd, not a soldier, he wasn't limited by his job. See, he saw his current job as training for his future calling. He saw his current reality as just God setting him up for what he wanted to do in the future. He sees the opportunity and he he goes, you know what, I'm going to take it. It wasn't his plan, but it was God's plan. The opportunity presented itself as a major problem known as Goliath. And here's the thing about life. Most opportunities are disguised as problems. Most times the calling of God is disguised as a huge obstacle or a huge giant. It doesn't present itself, here's your calling, here's your opportunity. Step right in. No, it's a giant. It's a problem. It's a difficult situation. And as you begin to step and run towards it and God equips you on how to bring it down, that's when you step to walk in what you were called to do. See, David was called to lead the Israelite nation. And this opportunity to lead presented itself in the form of Goliath, a giant. 
What problems are you facing right now that are really just your opportunity in disguise? That are really just God setting you up for what he wants to do in your future? Opportunity for you to step into what God has for you. Let's view our giants as opportunities for God to do a great thing in our life rather than a thing that's going to bring us down. David saw the opportunity, not the problem. And he stepped into it. Final thing about David. This is an important one. He knew it wasn't about him. 1 Samuel 17, 45. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Goliath did not come to Israel because he hated David and wanted to kill him. He wasn't sent to Israel on a mission, find David, son of Jesse, the shepherd, and take him down. That was not his brief. David knew that it was not about him. He knew that Goliath was trying to kill him, but he was not there for that reason. Goliath was there to destroy the armies of God. Goliath was there to destroy Israel. David knew the only reason he was being attacked was because he belonged to God. He knew that God was with him and that he was acting on God's behalf. David knew it was not personal. So many times we take it personal. Why is the devil attacking me? Jesus told his disciples that it wasn't personal. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. John 15. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. If Goliath comes against you, it's because he comes against the against God. It's because he comes against the cause and the purpose of God. And you represent God. You represent God's plan and will for that situation. So when the giant comes against you, yes, he's coming against you, but he's not coming against you. He's coming against God. It's not personal. Get over it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Jesus also told his disciples this. He told them that they would be hated. Oh, thanks. That's nice. Do you know they say that at any given time in a room like this, 20% of of the audience don't like you? I want to see who are you. It's not personal. David knew it was not him. He knew that Goliath was coming against the armies of the living God. But he also knew that he was fighting as a representative of the armies of the living God. And that God was with him. The the giant was against him, but God was with him. John 16, 33, Jesus again to his disciples. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Peace rather than fear. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. David knew it wasn't about him, but he also knew that God was with him. And because God was with him, he could take down the giant. You as a follower of Jesus will have sorrows, will have challenges, will have obstacles. But take heart because God has overcome the world. And he is with you. And when you are representing him, he will fight with you and sometimes even for you. Because God, we are on 
his side. God is on our side, we are on his side. Some of us need to remind ourselves whose side we are on. We are on the side that wins. We are on the side that has overcome the world. When faced with giants in our life, let's face them with faith and not fear. Let's not run from them, but rather let's turn towards them knowing that God is with us. Knowing that as a follower of Jesus, we have his spirit living within us. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. As a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, we have no reason to fear. In my devotion this morning, I've got my Spurgeon devotion, which I love to read. And it said this about fear. It said, leave fear for those without a father, without a saviour and without a redeemer. As a follower of God, we have no reason to fear. Because we are called by God, chosen by God. He is with us. 1 John 5.18 says this, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. God's love for us is perfect. We know how to love God because he first loved us. He showed us what love is. He gave us his love. And where his love is, which is perfect, there is no room for fear. This morning, what obstacle, what giant are you facing? What thing is it in your life that's coming against you? Just like David faced Goliath that day, what thing is coming against you in your life this morning? Because this morning, I believe we need to respond with faith and not fear. We need to stand in the revelation that we are loved by God. That he no longer remembers our sins, but he sees us as called and chosen as sons and daughters of God. And that he is with us to face those giants, to face those battles. David faced Goliath that day and he won a great victory. And I believe God wants to see a great victory in your life as you overcome the giants and the things that are standing against you. Can the musos come? I need some help. Do you know in Indonesia, they asked for um, the team to show them some dance moves because we were dancing on Independence Day. And I pulled out the water sprinkler, I pulled out the lawnmower and the shopping trolley. And those kids will never be the same again. (laughs) Scarred for life, they are, by my dancing. Did anyone, when you go to Indonesia, play the game with the eels? The live eels and you have to pick them up and they're all slippery? (laughs) Anyway, we're talking about fear. So get over the fear of eels. Musos are here. That's good. This morning I want to finish with two responses. First one is for you and you're facing a giant. There's an enemy. There's opposition. I don't know what it is, but I know we all face them. And I want us to close our eyes this morning in this room. Because I really believe that in this moment, we can have the first step towards a great victory. I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment. If there's a giant that you are facing, I want you to respond to it. Not to me, 
but just as an act of faith rather than a fear, I'd like you to stand to your feet where you are. I'm not going to bring you out the front, but it's just a standing up saying, there's a giant, but by me standing is my declaration that I'm facing it, not running from it. It's there. It's real. But God is with me. And because he's with me, I'm going to stand in this place. There's people standing across the room this morning. And I'm just going to simply pray for you. If you want to stand with them, stand now. Because then I'm going to move on with the service. God, I thank you for every person standing this morning. Across this room, you know every situation. You know every story. You know every circumstance. God, I don't know what their giants are, but you do. But I also know that, God, you are with them. Your spirit lives within them. And I pray this morning for a spirit of faith on every person that is standing. God, where there's been fear, we will replace it with faith this morning. We will replace it with a belief that we can overcome because you have overcome. God, I pray for every situation right now. Holy Spirit, begin to move and act on their behalf as they stand in faith this morning declaring that the giant no longer has permission to camp, no longer has permission to speak, and no longer has any power or room in their lives this morning. In the name of Jesus, we declare that you will overcome in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you, God. Amen. You can take a seat. And my prayer that this week is when the giant comes in and goes, you know what, I was here last week, I'm coming back to set up camp. He would say, no, 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 it's changed. You don't have room anymore in my life. There's no room in my heart or my mind for that thought or that belief because I'm going to replace it with truth and the Word of God. And I'm not going to listen to those lies any longer. I pray that you would have the courage this week to stand up to the giants that come against you. And this morning I'm going to finish. The way that we overcome fear is with faith. And the way that we have faith is with love, knowing that we are loved by God. John 3, 16 and 17. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And the way we experience his perfect love which cast out all fear the way we have that love in our hearts is by believing in Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that He died for our sins, believing that what this book says about Him is true, is life-giving, believing that Jesus gave us the power to defeat the power of death, believing that He gives us the gift of eternal life, believing that Jesus loves us perfectly no matter who we are or what we've done. The way we experience that love is simply by believing in Jesus Christ. We are able to love because He first loved us. And this morning, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes one more time because I don't want to move on without giving an opportunity for anyone here who may not know this love that I talk about, you may not know what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may never have decided to invite Him into your heart to give Him permission in your life. The one person you want to allow into your heart and your mind is Jesus Christ. 
Let Him be the one that speaks. Let Him be the one that leads you and guides you. And this morning, if you're here and you'd like to make that decision, just to invite Jesus into your heart. Say, yeah, I believe. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Him. Then I want you to just simply raise your hand where you are right now, because I'd love to just lead you in a prayer. If you're here this morning, raise your hand up high so I can see it. Just saying, yeah, that's me. I, want to, I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to follow Him. I want to know this perfect love that He has for me. It's there, available. All we have to do is respond. He's made a way. He's made it possible. It comes to a point in our life where we have to choose. Choose to follow. Choose to believe. God, I pray for anyone here this morning that may not know you. Pray right now that in their heart, you would draw them closer to you. You would reveal yourself to them in ways that man cannot. You would reveal your love. You would reveal your acceptance. And you would reveal the plan and purpose you have for their life. Pray that they'd be drawn to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.